we went from 12 people, like five engineers, et cetera, to four people because we, we literally had $4,000 left in the bank. We were doing like $24,000 in MRR and no one wanted to fund us because it's not an obvious solution. If you're an experienced person, uh, I, like, I understand why you'd, you'd be skeptical. So no one wanted to fund us. We, we ran out of money. And Can I go yeah, back and to, like, fund you at those terms? <laughs> it's too late for that. What yeah, did that yeah. round get done at? Two million. Oh, Post. what a great investment. Yeah. Tuesday and welcome to Not Boring Founders. This is Dan McCormick doing a quick fill-in for Packy on the intro. But fear not, dear listener, you have a full 40 minutes with NextHealth co-founder and CEO Almi Nudin and Packy coming right up. NextHealth's mission is to accelerate innovation in healthcare. It's doing it by making it easy for your data to go from point A to point B and from doctor to doctor. On top of that, it's building the front desk for doctors to attract and serve their patients. Back in June of 2021, Packy wrote The Secret Three-Step Master Plan to Cure Healthcare, a deep dive in the company alongside its Series B. Just this past week, NextHealth announced its Series C, led by Buckley Ventures. Al discussed how we got here and what the future looks like if NextHealth succeeds. But before we get to that conversation with Al, a note from our presenting sponsor of all of Season 2 of Not Boring Founders, that is right, ladies and gentlemen, FTX US. FTX should be familiar at this point. One, because we know you don't miss an episode of Not Boring Founders. But two, because FTX is a giant in crypto. FTX is the fastest company ever to reach a $32 billion valuation. FTX US, the US subsidiary, is independently worth $8 billion. And FTX's founder, Sam Bakeman fried is a living legend, a self-made 29-year-old multi-multi-billionaire who plans to give it all away one day. FTX has gotten so big so fast because it's really good at building crypto products. If there's something that you want to do in crypto, chances are FTX has a product for you. It's the exchange and derivatives platform that the professionals use, one of the largest exchanges in the U.S. and the maker of the FTX app. The FTX app is the most complete app in crypto. It allows users like you and me to buy crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Doge, and even NFTs with no fees. Users can use a crypto debit card, track their entire crypto portfolio, and even get important news updates. It's also cheaper than any other cryptocurrency exchange with no fixed minimum fees on transactions, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. FTX is smart. It knows that if it wants to win, offering the best product for the cheapest, is a good way to do that. But don't take my word for it. Go check it out for yourself. Go to either the link in the show notes and just click that sign up and you'll be good to go. You'll get $10 when you trade your first coin. Or you can go to the app store of your choice, download the FTX app and enter code not boring, all one word, to get a free coin when you trade your first $10. Thank you to FTX for sponsoring Not Boring Founders and making conversations like today's with NextHealth CEO Aludeen possible. Al from NextHealth. Alvin, thanks so much for coming. Great having you here today. Welcome to Not Boring Founders. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. Should be fun. This one's a, a big one, I think, for you. I think there's going to be a big answer here. The question that I always start with is what the world looks like in a decade if you're wildly successful in your ambition. So let's start there. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, do you want the hour-long answer or the, the short version? 
Let's do the two-hour uh, answer if you have one. <laughs> I'll I'll try to summarize it, which is that generally speaking, like one of the questions that you know internally Next Health employees always ask me, hey, how do we know that like, we're on the track, right? How do we know that we're maybe like close to you know accomplishing our mission of accelerating innovation in healthcare? And and my typical answer is that in a couple of years from now, if we see two to three health tech apps on an average consumer's phone. I think we're on the path. So for example, you know, if I, if I looked at your phone today or an average person's phone today, we're going to see what, two to three fintech apps in, in general, like, you know, PayPal, like a Robinhood or a Venmo or something. But besides maybe the, the Apple health app uh, or maybe like some of the fitness apps out there, there's really nothing there for your actual health. For, for the average consumer, really, that, that's what we're looking to change. And there's a lot of implications to that. There's a ton of implications to, you know, if we can actually get this done. And and the implications are, here, here's like in just like one scenario. For most of us here, you were probably born at a hospital. So the moment, the moment that you were born, you generated records, health records that are stored in a database somewhere. One of the implications of us being able to just accelerate innovation in, in healthcare is that you're going to be able to carry your records from, you know, point A to point B, from doctor to doctor. So for example, let's say you go to a, go to a PCP, a primary care doctor, and, and that doctor, they recommend you to go see a cardiologist. Next time you go to that cardiologist, you're going to be a new patient. And one of the implications, this is like a, you know, like a small example example of this, but one of the implications is that you go to that doctor, that cardiologist, all you do is, you know, maybe verify your phone number or your email address, and all the records that you have from that primary care office gets automatically transferred. You don't have to fill out that stacks of paperwork again, like those like 20, 10 pages of just like paper, pen, all this. You don't have to do any of that. All of it gets transferred. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where I'd start looking for like, I've just given up on my health records at this point and hopefully there's <laughs> nothing like too shocking there in the past. Yeah. But, like, how, how does yeah, that yeah, even yeah. Like, happen? Or is it really like once you're in existence that every baby born thereafter will be good to go? Yeah. So, so as long as we're integrated with your doctor's office, basically, right? So for example, let's say you go to that primary care office and one way or another, there's lots of ways we can be integrated through one of our developer customers. So maybe that doctor uses um, one of the developers powered by us, or maybe that doctor uses the SaaS product that we have directly. We can talk about our product in a little bit, but directly. And then if you go to that cardiologist, we know that's you. Like we know we, we have a unique, unique identifier with us that you can carry from you know place to place uh, over the internet. And you, you go to that cardiologist and we're like, hey, it looks like we're have you in our system do you want to verify your phone number you verify your phone number here's all of your records so this does this look confirmed yes and that cardiologist then gets a you know ping in their whatever their server or like whatever system that they're using this patient wants to grab all the records that they have from the other office and transfer it over do you accept and then you click accept and for you as as a, as a consumer you go from basically i don't know like 30 minutes of just filling out paperwork to just you know a couple of clicks ultimately like like what we're doing in Health, like we're, we're, we're building this sort of really distributed synchronizers, what we call, or like connectors that, that you can get that, that could be at your doctor's office, either through directly because our sales team went and sold it, or it could be, you know, through one of our developer customers, you know, like Smile Direct Club, they have, you know, thousands of offices or, or Quip, the toothbrush company, uh, Capsule, the pharmacy, like all these different companies that are built on top of us. They're basically, you know, getting the synchronizer that we have on all these doctor's offices and, and just connecting them all to us. Today, we manage 68 million patient records. I'm pretty sure. It, yeah. 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 <laughs> Wow. If so, you're not, if yeah. you're just listening yeah. here, we don't do video. Yeah. My face, my face. <laughs> that is, so that's what a, a fifth of the people in the U S is mm-hmm. it? It's not international. Exactly. It's just in the U S it's just on the U S for now. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Wow. And where, where does the yep. majority of that come from? Or is it just a million little pieces? Just a million little pieces. I mean, for example, Recently, we signed on this customer called, called you know, Mid-Atlantic Dental Partners, the PE rollout. They have 240 offices. 
And between those 240 offices, they're, they're across 17 different states in, in the Northeast, mostly. And between those 17 different states and 240 offices, they, 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 they have a record of over 2 million patients. And, and some of those patients, maybe they don't see that doctor anymore. Maybe they moved on. Maybe they went somewhere else. Over the years, they've accumulated records of thousands of patient records over time. Like, we, you know, we have this dermatology customer. They use a DOS-based system. And you look back at some of the records, it goes all the way back to the 70s. That's it's so pretty cool. insane. <laughs> My point is, if, if we're successful, um, an average consumer, they'll generally have two to three fintech apps on their phone. And the convenience that you have, like going to your doctor's office, it's just going to be so much greater. But that's just one example. Another, another example is that you go to that cardiologist. And generally speaking today, like when you get referred or you just go to that doctor, most of the time for simple things like something serious to like the cold that you have now, if you go to the doctor's office, they're going to treat you. This is the first time you've ever had, had any sort of sickness and the ever you've been to a doctor. Like literally, they're going to be like, hey, who are you? What's your name? Um, like, do you have like a past history of like allergies? Do you have like all these things? But remember, you're in your 30s. Like you don't have like you've been to doctors before that you have a ton of data on you. So one of the other implications is going to be that for most doctor's offices, they're just going to have context on you from the day you were born to that to you showing up to that office. So that the doctor actually doesn't have to ask you that many questions and they, they can ask you net new questions and they can like that maybe reason from just first principles when it comes to diagnosing you and, and giving you whatever treatment that you want. I, I would be a bad yeah. example because I actually, other than some like angle mm -hmm. thing that I had, I haven't been to a doctor <laughs> in a decade, I think, which is awful. Mm -hmm. Even just hearing myself mm -hmm. say that out loud, I think partially mm -hmm. because I'm like, I don't know, how do I find it? How do I get them my records? How do I find like all this mm -hmm. stuff that I'm like, I feel fairly yeah, yeah. healthy. I just got blood work done through Fountain the other day. So I'm like, also it's inconvenient least, like, to go see the doctor. Yeah. It's just super inconvenient to go see the doctor. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, and so the thing that I'm, that I'm super excited about with Next Health and just infrastructure in general, like this was the, the plaid mm -hmm. thing where when you see plaid, you kind of predict that like maybe there'll be a neobank thing or like maybe there'll mm -hmm. be a stock trading thing, but you can't predict the millions of things that will happen in fintech. So that's I think yep. the cool thing about Nexout too is that yeah. if this thing exists that makes it easy for a developer to do something, they'll mm -hmm. think of things that you're never going to think of. Exactly, and, and like these are some of the things that I can, you know, like imagine today myself, right? But maybe there's some kid that's not even born today. 15 years from now is going to build on top of us with some completely new idea, or some some kid that's going to college today, like you know, wants to start a startup. That that's what's fun about the job, honestly, which is um, unleashing the creativity of founders, entrepreneurs, and developers in general, so they can go and, and solve problems instead of next health ourselves trying to solve you know every single problem that, that we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are and, the biggest anyways, blockers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what are the biggest mm -hmm. blockers to that today? Yeah, so that's that's a that's a really, really good question. I think healthcare is is a type of space now where it's nineteen percent of our GDP. It's almost four trillion dollars um, of our GDP. It's probably the most disruptable space they can think of. Like basic, basic, basic solutions, they don't exist in our space. So product market fit, market demand. You know, how big is the market? Do consumers want this? Do doctors want this? None of those are actually a real problem in our space. Um, the real problem in our space, and, and, and like a lot of people ask me, like, hey, who's your competition? Like, what's, who are the competitors? Generally, my, my answer is like, we don't necessarily have a true competition in the space today. Like, we don't have a really true competitor. The way that I look at our, our competitor actually is our competitor is the fintech or the crypto space. And the reason is that if you're, if you're an ambitious engineer today, if you're an ambitious college kid today, you're, you're, you're intelligent, you're ambitious, you want to you know, do something great, you're probably going to go join crypto or fintech today. Tech is like not sexy at all. It's not cool. 
No one is building on it. None of your friends are going to it. The biggest challenge that we're going to have as a company, and part of the reason we raised a massive round, is that we want to change that. We want to, we want to go out there and we want to tell the world and show the world, like, hey, health tech is cool. It's sexy. There's a ton to be built here. There are things that grow really, really quickly here. And we want to be able to attract that talent to come to health tech, not only to like join Next Health. We have great talent here. Not only to join Next Health, but also build with us, like build products and companies and join some of our com- you know, our customers as well. So, so really, the, the biggest bl- uh, blocker from a meta level is that we see that health tech just doesn't attract talent the, the way that other, yeah. other spaces are now. And we need to be able to just like unleash the creativity of, of young people and, and smart people in general and the next generation to come and solve problems in, in, in a space where we deal with it every single day. It's, it's personal to all of us. And by the way, it's just good for society. I mean, like fintech, crypto. Yeah, great. Great. Innovation is all, all is good. But like health, healthcare, I can almost guarantee you 99.99% of the time is going to be great. It's going to be just good for people. Yeah. Amen. So where is Next Health today? You just mentioned the round. So tell me more mm-hmm. about that. But then where are you today and what are you trying to do with the money? Yeah. So we just raised $125 million Series C at a billing post. And th- so there's really two reasons we, we raised around. Like we don't we don't burn a ton of cash actually. Like we have like five years of runway at this point. <laughs> but part of the part of the reason is, is really two things. One is the talent question. We just want to really go out there and be way more aggressive than, than everyone else in terms of like attracting the, the talent uh, to come come with us, build with us, and then just overall make the space cool and sexy to work in. The, the, the second one is one of the interesting things about our product is that it, we the, the more integrations that we have, the, the better our product gets. So the more things we can integrate today, just electronic health record systems, like you have these EHR or electronic health record systems that are stored at doctor's offices. We integrate with those systems in a one by one. Um, that's something we, we want to be doing. And there's you know, hundreds or more of these integrations to go. But the next step is, you know, like insurance carriers, like all of us here, you probably never log into it yourself, actually, but it, like I do because I'm in the space. But like you can log into like Athna.com and there's actually a ton of data that they have on you. Or like you can log into uh, Walgreens.com, actually. And then there's a ton of data that they have. On I was just watching you. the dropout. And so I know yeah. they want to be on the cutting edge of new technology. Right. Ex- exactly. Yeah, yeah. So well for, yep. Uh, yep. 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 Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, and we want to be able to like partner with all these uh, stakeholders in, in the space and bring all that data together. Like the name Next Health stands for Nexus Health, which means the connection of many things. So really, just like you know, continuing to like execute on the, on, the, on that vision. And with this massive round, like, we don't have to be distracted by the next fundraising milestone or like whatever. We can just like really build for the for the long term. And you know, we have we have a lot of new cool things coming out actually in the in the next couple of weeks and months. I like kind of diving into the nitty gritty on just like mm-hmm. the, the company building piece. Mm-hmm. There seems to be this challenge where you want to get like the best possible engineers and the best possible talent coming to the space and integrations mm-hmm. are like a slog to do. How do you balance mm-hmm. like getting superstars to come in and then just do this like really tough work of, of doing integrations with old systems or whatever else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The growth is the, is the sexiest thing you can do. There's really nothing sexier than growth. I mean, like you have, if you have scale, if you're growing really, really quickly and you're solving interesting, hard problems that are relatable. I think for most engineers, it's, it's an exciting space to work in. We have like, we have engineers coming from Palantir all the way to like engineers in like Ohio of all places. Like we have an engineer that knows COBOL to like engineers. I mean, we just got, just hired this engineer that, that was working on LX actually uh, on machine learning. Uh-huh. We, we have all sorts of problems within the company. Like we spend a lot of our time on the integrations, but there's also other problems to, to be solved as well. 68 million patient records, by the way, that's a lot of data and it's growing a month over month at, at, a, at a pretty accelerated rate and then going global, et cetera. So, so anyways, my point is that you know, one of the ways we make the space cool and, and one of the ways we do attract the best talent is just by our growth rate. We grew um, in, in 2021, we grew 280% in terms of our customer base. That, that growth rate, any smart person, any ambitious person are just super excited by. And th- they come in to help us solve some of these challenges that may seem like... Um, 
not exciting. But when you solve it at that massive scale um, of 68 million patient records and you see the growth rate and, and how quickly you have to like keep up with it, for, for any engineer, it becomes really, really exciting. It's just the pace, really. It's, it's, it's less you... so like what you have to do today, but it's more so like, what is the pace here? Yeah. Yeah. How do you keep that pace up? 280% is like a super fast mm-hmm. pace and just the law mm-hmm. of large numbers that gets harder and harder to do. How do you think about keeping yep. that, that pace up? I think the fundamental answer is, is the TAM that we're going after today in the, in the U.S. and then eventually globally in the U.S. It's, it's almost $4 trillion, which means, you know, we have a lot of room to play in. And, and, and like I said earlier, this is a type of space where basic technology doesn't exist. So like anything that you can come up with, anything that solves, and these are problems, the doctors or the consumers or really anyone, you're going to see, see adoption. So for us, in terms of our, our roadmap, and I think like one of the things that we have that's maybe unique to Next Health uh, that I don't see in a lot of companies, actually, like... For most companies, the question is, okay, what's your act to, or like, what's your act three, or like, what's your next product, whatever. For us, that's really not a question. I mean, like our roadmap is at least 20 years long in terms of the types of problems uh, we can solve and like what, what we need to do, you know, step by step to, to get to where we want to get to. But anyways, like, like fundamentally, the space is really, really big. So we, we can we can keep that growth rate up, I think, for a very, very long time. And the only reason we slow down, like I say, is, is really for two reasons. One is bandwidth. Like we just don't have enough, you know, talent in-house or like the number of headcount we need to, to go do all the things that we want to do. The second thing is, you know, like we just can't attract the talent, which has not been a problem for us. We went from less than, I think, like 50 people 12 months ago to over 160 today. So it really hasn't been a problem for us. But anyways, yeah, yeah, I, I think the space is really, really big. And we have a 20-year roadmap. Um, I, I don't really see us stopping anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, you alluded to the, the 20-year roadmap. When I, I wrote a piece mm-hmm. on Next Health last year that we, we worked together on and mm-hmm. called it the, the three-step master plan to cure healthcare, what are the three mm-hmm. big chunks of the, the plan? Today, we're really focused on doctors and developers. Like we're, we're simultaneously building for two audiences at the same time. And the third major chunk that we're going to add on is, is the consumer side. Maybe like to take a step back and like explain what our product is to the audience. Uh, the, the way that I look at the core of our product, where 90% of our uh, resources go into, is a data synchronizer. We basically build this like synchronizer. My co-founder and I took us really three years to actually like even find product market fit and, and figure it out and, and like how to build it. Where we, where we go to doctor's offices and we're able to you know, integrate with um, on-prem actual servers. There's like an actual server in the basement somewhere in the doctor's office. So like if I asked you today, like, hey, Packy, like, where's your health records? You said you don't even know where it is. But the answer the answer to that question, though, is that it's stored between the, the dentist, the dermatologist, the PCP, all the doctors you've seen throughout your life, somewhere in their basement or in their closet on like a Windows 2010 or a Windows 2008 machine. And 80% of it is on-prem, like some 20% of the market is on the cloud, but 80% of it is on-prem. And there's over a thousand different vendors that serve that market that to store the patient records. And, and the system that store the patient records that are called electronic health record systems. So like just to like summarize the, the problem of the market, you have extreme fragmentation, a thousand different systems. You have small businesses, these dentists, dermatologists, uh, and then you have on-prem systems. Means Why was the market built like that? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually natural. Like like people people will blame it on the vendors in the space or like not doing a great job or whatever. It's it's really not. It's just natural. Think about it this way: there's over seventy eight different specialists within the SMB healthcare market. And for example, right, you look at let's say dentistry as like one of the largest actually like sub verticals within within healthcare. Over two hundred thousand offices within dentistry, you have many other sub specialists. Right? You have orthodontists, you have endodontists, you have surgeons, etc. And for each and every one of them, they're specialized 
electronic health record systems built. So for example, if you're an endodontist, you open your own specialized practice, you're going to go and buy the software that's built specifically for you and not the general software. Forget about a general healthcare software. You're going to go buy the specific one. And guess what? There's a ton of these like private equity back or like bootstrap mom and pop type software companies that make like, I don't know, like five, $10 million a year. But for them, that's that's good enough and they'll serve that market. In, and that's, that's how you get the fragmentation. So over time, over the last 20 years, you have like many of these small players. Uh, some of them are pre roll up. Some of them are, you know, still bootstrap and cash flow positive that's serving the, the seven day different specialists. And within each and every one of them, like for the endodontist space, there's over 13 of these different people with a somewhat equal market share. Think about that. It's insane. That right? is, that is, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, e-commerce always mm-hmm. blows my mind in this way where it's kind of like, mm-hmm. how are there enough people to buy all of those little things out there? This yeah. blows my mind in a different but similar way where it's like, how are there mm-hmm. just like enough people who've all independently seized on this one like very particular yeah. problem and then like spend time to build it? I don't know. The world is a bigger place than it than it seems. I think. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's 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 actually so so crazy. There are massive businesses out there that do to us the craziest things. There's a company in our space called Henry Shine. They sell like gloves and equipment and whatnot. They do $10 billion a year in revenue. <laughs> no one's heard of that. No one's heard of that. Like I, I, I'm like, hey, do you know who Henry Shine is? No one in tech knows who Henry Shine is, but they do $10 billion. And by the way, they sell like the, those gloves, you know, you go to the doctor's office, they put it on, stuff like that. $10 billion a year. It's a massive business. Wow. To go back to your question though, that's how you get the fragmentation. But the typical question is, oh, well, do you get like consolidation eventually? Not really. I mean, that's just the way the market is built. The decision makers is the, in, in my example, the endodontist. And he or she, they're always going to be you know, choosing the software that's specialized for them. And then guess what? The way that they store the patient records is in a different format than the next next vertical and the next vertical and the next vertical. So the problem just gets massive and massive from an, both an engineering perspective and from just like a you know, product user interface perspective. And the problem gets even worse because if I'm the, a niche, $5 million business serving this like endo market. I'm not, I, I don't care about APIs. Like I really don't give a shit. Like I don't, like it's not my priority. So that means, you know, for us as Next Health, we, we, we see the market and we see like our, this like one system serves like, I don't know, let's say like 4,000 customers. And between those 4,000 customers, at a minimum, they probably have like 5 million patient records. Great. How do we then go integrate with them and then grab that record? And the way that we do it, we just reverse engineer the whole database because remember, they don't have a priority in terms of like building APIs. Some of them will, some of them don't, but like it's, it's like so so limiting. Anyways, like we go, we go in there and like we literally go to the server. It's a MySQL database. We'll like reverse engineer the whole database schema. And like, and, and then when it comes to synchronizing data, reading and writing data, we'll, we'll read and write data every 30 seconds. And we will actually read tables and write tables into that schema. Which is really freaking hard. Just, yeah. I, I, and that same thing on thousands of different systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if it's cloud-based, we'll just crawl the data. The government has like come up with some regulations where it's like, hey, if you're, if you're, if you're serving the healthcare market and you're accepting Medicaid and Medicare, you have to like open up your data and you have to like, like follow these, these formats like FHIR or HL7 or whatever. But still, like it's up to these vendors to maintain those, those open access and like to what level, how often, how frequently, what sort of data, all those things. And, and if you're a $10 million, $5 million, $20 million business, and maybe like you're owned by private equity and, and for that PE firm, you're coming up on that fund life cycle. And, and you got to be sold to the next guys. Maintaining those those you know, open APIs is just not a priority for you. So anyways, so we sort of come in like reverse engineer the database and, and basically crawl data if it's uh, if it's cloud-based. And and we do it obviously with the you know, permission of the end users, like the doctors actually have yeah. to give us permission to do this. Um, and so, so that's the core of our product, really. That's really, you know, literally our, our whole product. And we've done two things on top of that. We enable them doctors themselves, that endodontist or that cardiologist or that even chiropractors actually that, that are on our product today to go and then in like digitize their office 
office and their front desk through us directly. So they don't have to work with any, any developers or anyone else. They can work with us directly for this. We have a SaaS product. It's you know, fully built. It's customizable. It's out of the box. You can log into Nexel.com. You can see all of your data. It's synchronized every 30 seconds. And then you can end-to-end -end digitize the whole patient experience. So we only like focus on the business side that the patient experience here from the, the you being able to discover the doctor on Google to scheduling an appointment, to filling out your new patient paperwork, paying the doctor, it's all taken care of through us. That's, so, so that's, that's why they let you crawl the database. Exactly. Like they, they, you're, yep. They're already a customer. They're using your software. They trust you. And then mm -hmm. uh, you're able to go exactly. and kind of get the schema. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, now we have a customer in, in, Can in, in Canada, actually, where they're switching EHR systems. And they know, they know what we do. Like they know we, we just like reverse engineer the whole database and like, we're already active with them. They're, they already use us. And the, and the craziest thing is in the contract for the next vendor, they, they <laughs> there's, there's a term in there where basically that next EHR, I'm not going to name them, but the next EHR vendor that they're signing with, they already signed the contract has to let us reverse engineer that database in order for them to work with us. It's a large group. It's like 120 office. So they have that, you know, like power yeah. to compel the next company to do this, but it's becoming a normal thing in the industry. Like we're actually like normalizing it. And obviously these customers trust us enough to do this. But anyways, yeah, because we have the SaaS product, we go to these doctors and we say, hey, we know you have a need for this product. You want to digitize your office, your front desk, your patient experience. You want to drive staff efficiency. There's staff shortages out there today too, which is like makes them, makes an Excel product even more needed. But in order for us to do this, you actually have to let us reverse engineer your whole, data, your whole database. Otherwise the product just doesn't work. So they let us in, we, we do it. And like one time, you know, one, like once we have like one instance of let's say like eClinical Works, which is a notoriously hard system in, in the medical space to work with, actually, uh, as far as I know, no one no one integrates with them besides us. It's a little bit of personal for me because the office that I used to work at used to use them, and, and actually like they're they're like very like foundational to the founding story of the of the company. But anyways. So we, we integrated with them and like, you know, the, the first time we, we reverse engineered the database, it sort of applies across all other instances of it. So we can productize it and then it take like many of these integrations, 20, 30, 40, 50 of these integrations, productize it and then make it available to developers. So for these developers now, you know, they can go through the same journey that we went through two, three years, figure God all, all on their own, go sign maybe contract with some of these guys, like these EHR vendors, reverse engineer themselves, do whatever. Maybe they can do it themselves or they can partner with us. And within two to three weeks, they can get their you know product integrated with these EHR systems and go live. So we basically have doctors that use us and developers that, that use us and, and pay us for it. And, and it works out really, really well because we can quickly and easily digitize doctor's offices and, and let them just get online. And then for developers, on the other hand, they can then also you know, go and, and, and build all sorts of products themselves. And that, that I think, you know, really helps us get closer to, to our mission of accelerating, you know, innovation in, in healthcare by both enabling doctors and developers at the same time. Yeah. One of the feedbacks that I think I've seen you get, and I think I got when I wrote the piece was this idea that mm -hmm. you're a dentist's office now for the most part, mm -hmm. and there's maybe some, some mm -hmm. non-dental non Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for some reason, it's very different to go into other types of doctor's offices. What's the mm -hmm. story there as someone who's never personally built anything here? What's, what are they missing? All the above. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I think people are wrong and, and they're missing a ton here. And, and I think that the thing that pe people are missing is that the way that look at the problem is just so different than the way that we look at the problem. Um, we look at the problem as moving data from point A to point B. That's it. Like we're not a, we're not a clinical software. We don't really care what the doctor does, what the electronic health record system does. You're a cardiologist for a chiropractor. We really don't care. We're just like moving data from point A to point B. And there's really like four different types of databases out there. You have like a MySQL database or a Cybase database, whatever. Our whole job as a company 
and and as an exhale is that like anytime so here, here's here's like a little bit of anecdote like anytime a new employee joins us and and they and they talk about us as a healthcare company I, I put a complete stop to it. We're not a healthcare company. Like we're just not a healthcare company. What we are is a technology company that's happened to be solving, you know, problems in healthcare. And as, as a company, the way that we look at the problem is that, you know, we're just moving data from point A to point B. <clears throat> so, so, so most of the objections that we get the, or, or, or the, the criticism, whatever you're going to call it, is that for them, they look at the problem as really like clinical healthcare problems or like regulation problems or like government problems. And what we're saying is that it actually doesn't matter what your specialty is. It actually doesn't matter what you do as a doctor's office or what sort of data it is. It really even doesn't doesn't matter like what the government has to say or anything like that. As long as you can figure out a way to move point data from point A to point B, that's all that matters. And and the figuring out part is is the controversial part and the hard part and, and like what most people don't get. And I think that the thing that we've got is that we figured it out. Like we, we managed 68 million patient records today. We synchronize data every 30 seconds. We're a billion dollar company now. And obviously, like, I think it's still not, not obvious to most people, but that figuring out part, which is, you know, bypassing the, the EHR companies, getting around the whole system, like most of these companies don't even know we, we integrate with them. That's the controversial part, but it works. Customers love us. They pay us every month for a reason, both the doctors and the developers. So why is there a concentration on dentists then early? Was that a strategic choice or why not just like every type of doctor in the world out there in, in mass now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so when my co-founder we started the company, the, the initial actually focus was everything and 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 thing. Like because we knew that in in order for us to fully realize the vision, we'd have to be able to you know integrate with systems across seventy eight different specialists. So that includes like medical, dermatology, etc. And we did some of that in the early days. So for example, you know one of our very first integrations back in twenty seventeen was eClinical Works, which is you know one of the largest systems in in the East Coast for for medical. Doctor Crona, which is a San Francisco based actually EHR system, and like MDLAN and care cloud like all these like we have like like many of these like systems and then we did some dentistry as well because we saw demand from the market there like dentrix eagle soft etc and then q1 of 2018 just like we went from 12 people like five engineers etc to four people because we, we literally had four thousand dollars left in the bank we were doing like twenty four thousand dollars in mrr and no one wanted to fund us because it's not an obvious solution. If you're an experienced person, I like I understand why you would you'd be skeptical. So no one wanted to fund us. We, we ran out of money. And Can I go yeah, back and like, fund you at those terms? <laughs> it's too late for that. What yeah, did that yeah. round get done at? Two million. Oh, Post. what a great investment. Yeah. I'm grateful for the obviously the early early believers. They're getting the return that they that they deserve as well. It was risky, obviously. No. Like no for one sure. does this, by the way. Two kids out of college uh, with no work experience. I can see why you'd be skeptical, and I totally understand. But anyways, so like we ran out of money, we just had to focus. And and the largest paying customers we had at that time was this like 12 office group out of Detroit. And the way that we made the company uh, stay alive, basically, or like survive is like I convinced that customer to pay us upfront 12 months, $36,000. So like our bank balance went from 4,000 to 40,000. Our MRR was about 24,000. Our average, like our monthly cost was about 30,000. So they gave us a basically like a month and a half of runway, and then we could turn cash flow positive. But it was only two engineers on the team. And it's basically like okay we can keep this customer going and a few few of these ones that are actually paying us and, and paying the bills or we can continue to pursue our, our vision of like integrate with the many systems and that happened to be a dental customer and they use dental, dental ehr systems so like okay i like, just focus on that and we did and, and it worked out really really well and it sort of like maintained that focus and obviously like one of the core lessons from that experience was was like the need for focus so we just like really focus on that from the very very early days 
But today we have customers from 17 different verticals um, that we serve across across the entire country. We still have those early medical integrations like eClinical Works, and we're, we're launching many of them, actually uh, one next month on the medical side and many more going forward. Um, that's really it. There's no, there's no real other reason. Like I said, we're not a healthcare company. We're, we're a technology company moving data from point A to point B. And as long as you use one of the standardized databases out there, it really doesn't matter for us like what system you're using. Yeah. That's that's wild. I don't think I knew all of the details of, of that yeah. story. How did you even come to this problem? I remember something about you being okay at math, but not as good as Jean Van mm-hmm. did, and so you wanted to do something else. But like, how did you come to this in the first place? Yeah, so we actually originally tried to, like in terms of solving the problem, try to do what, what some of our like competitors or like the experts say, which is like, hey, go partner up with these EHR companies, like eClinical Works and Dentrix, and like act as a translation, translation layer for their APIs. And when we went out there and like asked all of them for really for permission and like to partner up with us and like what we're doing, they all told us no. Uh, obviously, like go I don't know if I can I curse here. You can, I can do I can whatever you want. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, they used to tell us go fuck ourselves. Like I remember, like we were on calls with like potential customers and like eClinical Works on the other line, by the way, like one of their BD people on the other line, and and the customers like, hey, we want Next Health to like integrate with you guys so we can do X Y Z, and and that dude, I'm like no exaggeration. He's like, no, no, we do this ourselves, and he just hangs up. Like, he just hangs up. Like, nothing like, bye, thank you for your time. Nothing, I like, just hangs up. So, a- like, after getting the-, the thrashing of going from, like, that experience, the the thought process was, what other way can we figure out a way to, like, actually get the data? Because right? remember, like, we all thought of ourselves as a technology company, not a healthcare company. And all, and we knew that, you know, if we can move data from point A to point B and make it accessible to ourselves and developers, that would, like, sol- solve the core problem. And, and like, I used to work at a doctor's office myself, too. So, and so we knew that, like, we had access to the actual database, like, most of these doctor's offices. Like, there's an actual, you know, schema, like, somewhere in the basement. And that we knew that if we could just, like, reverse engineer that, that whole database, that we could move, you know, data from point A to point B. And I remember, like, in the early days actually like i used to be pretty like sheepish about that concept like oh man this feels wrong or like whatever like i don't know if we're doing this the way i didn't know about plaid by the way like at that time like i had no idea what plaid was i didn't know about plaid till like i don't know, I don't know like 2019 2020 or something so i had like no idea like that, that's like a thing you can do or yeah. like there are like massive companies being built around this yeah yeah so like it, it was really just like one being naive because like everyone told us like what, what are you guys doing here like all the experts like all like we talked to it people in, in the space um CIOs in the space that's been in the space for like 30, 40 years, all told us this isn't going to work. This is like madness. Uh, so I, I used to be kind of like sheepish about it for that reason specifically. Yeah. But like we were like young, naive enough and ambitious enough where we're like, if we can make this work for like one customer and see what happens and then replicate it, we know we can make this work. And yeah, we did it for one customer. They paid us. It actually happened to be like more reliable. It gave us a better product as well. Um, and then, then we realized, okay, if we can just like go and pitch this like SaaS product from doctor to doctor. This is actually going to work. Anyways, yeah, like I, I want to say like there was like no like aha moment. It was an evolution, yeah. but also like I was just being like really young and naive and just like ambitious. Yeah. And yeah. what Paul Graham, I think, calls schlep blindness. Like you just, it's like going to be this really hard slog. And yeah. you just kind of like are excited <laughs> enough to get over it. Yeah, yeah. In, in the early days, I was like, oh, we're working in some partnerships with these guys, but like it works for now. And it's an incredible mode. Like yeah. if this is the way to do it, you have a two mm-hmm. to three year head start that does not seem like there's any fast way to shortcut it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, in like, like we're we're going to be the, the the standard for how data is exchanged in in healthcare. Like we look at ourselves almost like a protocol. 
in terms of like, you know, getting data from point A to point B and working with the standardizer. And like some of those, like, obviously, like we actually have a lot of partnerships now in the space because they just see us and, and like we're, we're big enough now. Some of this is going to be partnerships. Some of this is going to be crawling data, reverse engineering database. But overall, I think, I think the space itself is like seeing the vision that, that we're driving. And like a lot of them are coming to us to partner up with us. But overall, I, I think we have a huge moat and, and we can take it from here. And obviously, you know, this new cash gives us a ton of runway as well. Yeah. So I heard the word protocol. So are we going to decentralize mm-hmm. and we're going to get a next health token soon? Is that is that what's going to happen here? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's kind of funny actually. Like like we we announced a raise last week on Twitter from some of the crypto people. But like, oh look, another uh, uh, centralized system that's going to come in and just like, like proprietary standard for healthcare data exchange. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. We just don't have the engineering bandwidth now to even like focus on side projects. Really, that's not core to us. I f- deeply do believe in the the whole crypto slash decentralization of, of data and, and protocols. And I think the whole crypto space in general is not mature enough uh, for us to go and like experiment with it now. But once it is mature, you know, like five, maybe even 10 years from now, there's like basic infrastructure built. I think it makes complete sense for us even as a company to think about it and look into it and, and have at least at a minimum an open source version. Like let's say we don't, we don't yeah. even do crypto, but an open source version of what we're doing. Like we maintain it ourselves and like there's some added features you'll get if you work with us directly. But at a minimum, if we're going to be truly accomplishing our, our, our vision of accelerating innovation in healthcare, a couple of years from now, once we have the resources, I think it makes sense for us to even have an open source version of this, even if it's not like on, on the blockchain itself directly or in, in a protocol or on our own tokens. We'll see, we'll see what happens with that. But at a minimum, like open sourced that other people can go and just like run with and, and build on top of. But no, these are things that we do think about. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I heard a lot of like yeah. nuance. And, other, and so what I'm really mm-hmm. hearing, though, is I'm going to yeah. get a token soon and I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. Last last question, speaking of money and tokens, and we have a bunch of founders listening to this. You raised mm-hmm. at like the exact time. You have a war chest mm-hmm. now. How do you think mm-hmm. about, I mean, you've also almost ran out of money and had $4,000 mm-hmm. in the account. So how do you balance those two things in the market? Do you think about the market at all? Like, What's your calculus when you think about spending and raising money in an environment like this? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. The way that I, I look at it, generally speaking, is that you should do whatever it takes to win the market. Like we ran out of money. It was actually like at that time a pretty horrible experience, but in hindsight, it was, it was a great experience overall, like taught us a lot. But overall, like that ambition of we want to be the dominant player in the market and like win the market and, and actually change that, change the space that never went away. And like you should do whatever it takes to do that. And then when it comes to cash management, the only thing that you should always, 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 always look out for is just not running out of money. Doesn't matter like what the climate is, doesn't matter what it is. There's really only, you have two priorities, which is make your customers happy. If you do that, you're going to continue to grow. And, and the second priority you have um, is don't run out of money. And by the way, like besides fundraising, there are a ton of other ways to not run out of money. For example, pay, getting your customers to pay upfront, like if they can pay yeah. you for the entire year. If you have a good product, if you have a good reputation in the market, if your customers are happy, guess what? Most of them, they will actually pay you upfront because they know you're, you're a reliable partner for at least the next 12 months. And that's one way to increase uh, cash flow. But, but, but anyways, like my, like our overall take now is that do whatever it takes to win the market and just don't run out of money. And there are more ways to not run out of money than just continuing to dilute yourself and like raise you know money from VCs. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes a ton of sense. And I also think like, yep. yeah, to your point earlier, growth mm-hmm. is intoxicating when you do it with solid unit economics, great yep. talent, happy customers. Yep. Like if you think the growth will sustain and be sustainable mm-hmm. even if you don't have you know gobs glob, of money coming in mm-hmm. even in a bad market i feel like companies like this will be able to raise money if if they need to and if it's like oh shit we can either get 10 times bigger next year or not mm-hmm. people will throw mm-hmm. money at that 
Yeah, I, I think I think we're honestly in a very lucky position where like I think you know, for most startups out there, the ones especially that are like maybe like a little overvalued is that for them, a lot of their customers are other startups. For a lot of them, it's, it's other startups that are also dependent, dependent on VC money. For us, not really. I mean, like you're, you're not going to stop going to the doctor. Uh, I know our customers, they're all cash flow positive. They all run based off. I mean, the only way as a doctor, you yourself take home any cash is if you're profitable on a, on a month over month, year over year basis. Uh, so we know for a fact, our customers are not going going anywhere. And we also know for a fact, like the developers that serve that market as well, they're also not going anywhere because the doctors, they're going to continue to pay. And like it, during, during COVID, I think during that contraction, we didn't really see much, you know, like really any difference from, from the market. But anyways, I, I also think we're just like super lucky in that sense where we can get our customers to pay upfront annually where our customers do have good cash flow. So we, these are things like we rarely think about. Just make customers happy, get a good team together, build a great product and try to win the market. That's really all we think about. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I have more developers yeah. than doctors listening probably. So if you're a developer who wants mm-hmm. to go play around with Next Health, where should you go? Mm-hmm. You can just go to our website actually and click on the developers tab and then you can request access to our API and go from there. It should be super simple and easy. Yeah. Sounds great. Al, thanks so much for coming on. Congratulations on the raise and I'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Packy. Appreciate it. 